Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Matt Phillips is a painter based out of Brooklyn, New York. He recently had a solo show across both spaces at Stephen Harvey Projects on the Lower East Side. He's been in numerous group shows, both nationally and internationally, and he was a recent resident at the McDowell Colony Artist Residency in New Hampshire. He has an upcoming show at Devening Projects in Chicago in October, and next March he has a show in Trinzo, Italy. He's a really great person to speak with about making work, and is a valued friend to many artists making work today. It was a pleasure to sit down at his Red Hook studio to talk about art, music, and life. Here's our conversation. So um, that might be a good place to start with you. When, what was your childhood, your music input? Like, what were you into whenever you were a kid? Yeah, I was always into music. I've always been into like everything. Um, my dad was like a major rocker mm-hmm. in the classic rock. Classic rock. Yeah. Zeppelin, The Who, Steppenwolf, The Doors. The Doors. Actually, my dad does not like The Doors. Oh, really? He really is anti Is it a Jim Morrison thing? Yeah. 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 People either loved them or hated them. He really always tried to describe, like, to let me know that in his day, Jim Morrison was, like, sort of like this superficial pop star. Yeah. That he was sort of like maybe the Justin Bieber of the 60s, <laughs> in my dad's eyes. Right. So. Well, th- I think there's that perception, and then there was a perception that he's like a genius poet. An American poet. Right. Oh, yes. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I forgot. It's been a while since I've seen a movie. <laughs> it's my only real connection, you know, yeah. like historical connection to The Doors. I've never, like, read a book <laughs> or seen a documentary. It's just been that movie. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. I think music was a huge thing that we connected to, like, my around my dad and I. And... That kind of naturally led into me wanting to play music. Yeah. So I um, played guitar. When did you start? I probably started like in middle school, mm-hmm. maybe a little before, like late elementary school. And it was just always something I did and loved. You know, you learned how to play Smoke on the Water. And then that's, you learned how to... That's the first one, right? That's it. That's you learned like bar chords yeah. and pretty much you know how to rock. Yeah. That's um, the bar chord template, Smoke on the Water. Yeah. That's what is it or that is it? No, that is, yeah. that's like, you know, the step one. Right. And rocking. <laughs> smoke <laughs> on the Water. You've got to learn that first. But it was great. I had like amazing guitar teachers. Um, there was this one guy, his name was Kelly. And basically I remember my lessons, I would go in and maybe you had like a hour lesson. Mm-hmm. And like the first 45 minutes was just him giving you a concert. You know, he just wanted to shred for you. So you just watched the genius? Yeah, and he (laughs) just would like, you know, you put your guitar basically down and he would just like pull his hair out for you (laughs) and then just go through these medleys of, 
you know, from Deep Purple to ACDC to Megadeth. Solos included? Everything. <laughs> and then for like the last 15 minutes, you would get like a little bit of time to maybe learn a few chords. Yeah. Um, but I always remember that. <laughs> and then I had like a totally different kind of um, guitar teacher, this guy Brad Jones, mm -hmm. who was this like phenomenal finger picker and like bluegrass player. Yeah. And like, it's funny, like when I think about music in my life, like I've just always really loved so many different kinds of music. Mm -hmm. And and I played um, mostly rock, but I've always listened to so much, like from, you know, bluegrass to hardcore to emo to whatever. Yeah. Um, well, wait, where did you grow up? What? I grew up mostly in Virginia. Okay, so um, you had a little bit of Southern influence. Yeah, quite. I mean, I was born in Georgia. Okay. That's where my father lives. Um, but I was basically in Virginia while I was, like, during the school year, and then yeah. I would be in Georgia during holidays. And There's the your bluegrass. Yep. And all of my mom's family is from, like, coal country, like southwest Virginia, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. So that kind of specific southwest Virginia music culture was a big part of my life. It was just always in the air, like, you know, Doc Watson and the yeah. Gertie Dirt Band and, you know, you name it, Latin Scruggs. Like, that was just something that we listened to. And that, I don't know. So people now, like, Gillian Welsh or, you know, Sturgill Simpson, like, that kind of modern alt-country, mm -hmm. like, that feels, like, very familiar to... Um, but yeah, I, like I played music all the way into to college, and that was also like the same time where I think painting became really important, mm -hmm. and my interest in painting really kind of caught fire. What well, was um, was the family artistic? Growing up, did you did you draw a lot, or how did it seems like most people just started off by being a drawer? You know, I did draw. Yeah, I mean, I was. It's funny, like, I was into everything as mm -hmm. a kid. I think I was definitely, if I was, like, alive now as a kid, they would have put me on Ritalin or something. Yeah, there's like. way too many things to do. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I definitely drew a lot. I was really into drawing, um, like, skeletons and skulls. Mm -hmm. And I was really into drawing, um, like, battle scenes, which is really funny because, like, my... There was like no violence, and there was mm -hmm. like a major aversion to fighting and violence in the family. Yeah, but that became just like a weird thing. I think I saw someone else do, and I just started to be like, "Oh, I'll draw my battle scenes." Yeah, I think all kids get into that. You know, <laughs> it's just like whether it's cartoons or they like to play that stuff out. Yeah, and I don't know why, but it just seems to, in one form or another, <laughs> whether you know, sometimes it's like I remember I used to play with GI Joes all the time as a kid. Like, that was our thing. Me and my friend, we'd set up, his mom had this room in, the ha in their apartment. It was filled, I just remember, it was filled with plants. Like, so <laughs> many like plants everywhere. It was like a jungle. Yeah. And then we'd go in there with our G.I. Joe figures and just, you know, it was amazing. Wow. We'd spend hours and hours just like, acting out the, I don't even know what we were doing, <laughs> you know? But, yeah. So I you were, do remember also, um, there was this one art class where it was, like, Christmas time. This was in elementary school, and I drew a picture of Santa Claus um, flying over a city, dropping bombs. <laughs> and the art teacher... Was concerned. 
called my mom. Yeah, we yeah. had a conference. And my mom thought it was so funny. Right. And I remember really, um, I just remember her sort of laughing in the context of this meeting and feeling like, yes, my mom is really cool. <laughs> like, I'm not going to get in trouble right. for this. But, um, yeah, I definitely was into drawing and making stuff. But I was just as much into, like, skateboarding and... BMX biking, and I was really into um, like my room mm -hmm. as a kind of creative space. Yeah. So I spent like tons of time all the way through like my childhood, like even through high school, of just like basically totally filling my room with posters yeah. and like glow-in-the-dark stuff and black lights stickers and stickers and did you I, have the stars on the ceiling dude, I had those I had like not only did I have the stars like I would take the the like the you know get the whole sheet yeah you get like a consolation right know. and they would like cut out the stars and there would be just like the leftover yeah so then that would all get cut up put those up too and there was just so many stars in my room and the whole like I think the goal was that you could sort of like be against the wall and with the lights on and then mm -hmm. turn them off and like walk away and there would be like a dark silhouette of mm -hmm. the person <laughs> blocking all the gold and dark. Right, right. <laughs> that was kind of the goal, but I never got that far. Yeah. But I think like the imagery and the sort of the like Spencer's gifts mm -hmm. and classic rock and like my interest in visual arts and like the visual world, like those things were like really tightly braided together. Yeah. Um, so like music and yeah, visual, the visual world like have always felt totally inseparable. Yeah. And I feel like even in later, like in college, when I was really seriously interested in, in, in painting, I was also playing in bands, mm -hmm. and it was cool at Hampshire College, which is where I went to school. Um, the music building and the art building were literally like across the sidewalk from each other. So in my own life, like I would paint for part of the day, and then I would go and have band practice, and then go back to the studio. Yeah, and I've I, always thought it's the perfect. Because I've done both, you know. Right. Even now, when I'm, I'm not in a band anymore, but I still play, you know, play music and play the guitar. And stuff. Um, it's the perfect way to, to like turn off the visual mind for a mm -hmm. little bit, and then go into the audio world where it's it's such a direct, you know, it's it feels like it's less filtered by things, you know. Yeah. It's like this direct expression. You could just turn on a record and play along to it, and you go into a total other space. You know? Totally. Which is you can't. I don't know, for me it feels like cleansing or mm -hmm. something to do that. You know, and with making art, it's there's a sort of serenity to it. Like when you're in the studio and you're in an hour like five or six and you're right. really rolling, for me that's like the best feeling in the world and you kind of turn off the rest of the world. Right. It's almost like meditate. It's, you know, meditating in a different way. Mm -hmm. And uh, But it's different. And when you play music, I really feel like I can disconnect from everything. Yeah. Full full-on meditation yeah yeah it's funny I mean there's things that I love about about both and at this point like I I do not play music mm -hmm. anymore at all like I would 
it's funny how it was such an important thing and I think at some point it felt like I was either going to do music or paint fork in the road yeah yeah and I miss the times where I was doing both but it just feels like as life gets more kind of full and crazy it's just been harder to imagine playing music and I think like I was never such an amazing musician where I would just like I don't know like just pick up and like go and go and go by myself yeah and like what I really loved about music was the collaboration right and the idea that like I could have um, the things that I was interested in or my kind of ideas and how they fit within like a collaborative effort of writing a song mm-hmm. or performing um, I think that was the thing that I always really liked about playing music was that was that being a part of something bigger yeah it's um, it's a really interesting creative outlet in that sense you don't really think about it that you know that often that you're creating with these people mm-hmm. it's like a, a team yeah. it's like a team sport Totally. And in the studio, in the art studio, it's so not that. I mean, it's you in your box, you know, right. like you just, it's like people are witnessing your mind, you know, when you make these images. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting to think of giving up that or that collaborating and, you know, what your creative output is, is based on what these other people in the room are bringing to it. For me, it was like whenever I stopped playing music, part of it too was it's so hard to, to link up schedules and, yeah. you know, like it's a real art form. Like to be in a band, you really have to be committed and like have that schedule and you're depending on these other people mm-hmm. for your creative outlet, you know, yeah. which is difficult. So when I started just working on my work full time when I moved to New York, it was like an amazing, you know, I'm in charge of my schedule. I go, I work as long as I want. Mm-hmm. I don't have to wait and call these guys, you know. So that was a great thing, but year after year of working alone in the studio, and I started reaching out to friends who were musicians and collaborating because I thought, I gotta get back into you know some form of dialogue with other people here. Yeah. I think I just I like that form of communication through like you know making things. Yeah. And it wasn't literally, you know, collaborating in the studio, but it was just collaborating on projects alone was enough, you know, to keep that dialogue alive. Mm-hmm. But you know, you don't realize how amazing it is to, to work with people like that until you're not doing it anymore. Yeah. And I think you kind of strive for it sometimes. Yeah, I mean, that, I agree. I, I've had, like, such good... I have such good feelings about collaboration, mm-hmm. but I always think that there's, like, this interesting process of collaboration where I, I really think it's, like, a difficult process. And I think from my experiences, both like in music and I've done some collaborative projects in the visual arts, mm-hmm. um, I think it's like a really cool way to learn about yourself. Yeah. But it's a, it's a hard process. Like things can be revealed about, you know, about yourself that um, can be like a little hard to take. Yeah, and I totally know what you're talking about. And we're sensitive to that. I think we're hypersensitive. Maybe because it is all on what we're doing. Right. And it's not like a team. Like if you're in a graphic design firm and you come up with, you know, an identity for something Mm -hmm. and you're like, well, this is just not working. The color's off or whatever. Right. You can handle that. You know, it's the team, you know. Right. It's it's part of that dialogue. But if someone comes in your studio and it's just like, yeah, I don't know, those paintings, the color's off on these. You're not really (laughs) painting it right. You know, you'd be like struck. You know, kind of like, what? 
<laughs> totally. So I, it's like a, a, an odd, separate evaluation or, or bar is set for, you know, not only the way people interpret what you're doing and react to it and right. the input you get, but also you've, we, I think we've become very sensitive to, mm-hmm. you know, anyone saying anything, <laughs> any constructive criticism, you know, about the way, not only the images or whatever we're creating, but also the way that our work is seen mm. once it leaves the studio, you know. Right. It's, it's pretty interesting to think about, you know. Yeah, and like the thing that can make an individual artist like work really compelling, like they're usually kind of like, I don't know, they're like really obsessed with something mm-hmm. or they're like really driving at some sort of specific set of ideas and that's sort of like their thing. Yeah. And then when you put that together with another artist, they're going to have like their different set of interests or yeah. strengths. And to find the way to make those things compatible can be really difficult. Yeah. And I like the thing that I really love about the collaborative process is that there's usually like this point where it gets tense and difficult mm-hmm. where it's like your thing and my thing are having a hard time driving. Yeah. But that also, like, that moment right there is usually when the kind of creative problem, like, the problem is presented that gets to be solved. Yeah. And that, to me, is always when the project begins. Right. And so I think, in some ways, having played music with other people. Mm-hmm that became more and more familiar, right? Where you were like in the rehearsal studio and everyone had their sort of parts and they were trying to figure out how to get them to work together. Or yeah. Where the song was gonna turn or how it was all going to sound. And you just sort of workshopped it and discussed it and someone got a little pissed mm-hmm. and then there was a compromise yeah. and then the song sort of moved on and ultimately like got better. Yeah. And I think, um, doing that through a musical process like kind of prepared me for the collaborative processes like in the visual arts. But it's funny because the, the people that I have collaborated with, like I did a pool, like a mural inside of a swimming pool mm-hmm. with my friend um, Andy Ness up at an artist residency called Deniston Hill uh-huh. up yeah, in yeah. upstate New York. And it was like an amazing project mm-hmm. we're like literally like painting the interior of this pool with like boat paint and yeah. it's hot and crazy and you're like in there in your socks in the summer and you're like having all these little like amazing moments and you're also having those tensions and finally like we finished painting the pool and like it was so funny because I remember we left and the pool had been like painted and then we came back I don't know, like three weeks later, and it was filled with water. Yeah. And so it totally the, changes the piece. Yeah, like, yeah. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe that I was so worried about these things. Like, <laughs> you can't see anything. It's moving and it's like magnified by yeah. the water, and it's like this living object. And all of those things that happened along the way were so, I don't know, like, so silly now. Like, like anyone's going to notice. Right. Yeah. Well, that's kind of a parallel to how it is in our studio. I feel like you we make these tiny decisions in our in our work that mean so much to us and then some people come and, you know, 
a hundred people will come see that work. We'll have a hundred different interpretations or notice a hundred different things in it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like the way we naturally work. Right. You know, it gave me an idea though. Maybe we should hire art coaches to come in <laughs> while we're working to ask us questions. Like, are you sure that red wouldn't be better yeah. with an orange? You know, yeah, you just like, your brush and they're like, yeah, maybe a filbert on that one. And just like in real time making decisions for you. <laughs> Critiquing your work in process. That's funny. And make it like it's it's funny because in talking to a lot of people about <laughs> studio, like your uh, routine and how there's this connection to um, exercise in a way. Mm. Because you know, and even you know, a lot of the old jazz guys used to say like it's it, you work out, you exercise, you practice your horn every single right. day, you get better that way. And, and I think there's a lot of parallel. So you can fly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I you just you know there's something about the routine and like that effort that mm-hmm. makes you stronger, you know? And I always, f- I feel like um, thinking about studio, studio routines as kind of like an exercise, like it's hitting the art gym. Right. Can be, I don't know, maybe that partial, partially is because I grew up in like very blue collar, mm. you know, household where, you know, we didn't have any money and my dad was always working. He's like, mm-hmm. you got to work hard, yeah. do whatever you want, but just do like go 150% at it. You know? Right. Well, it's a funny thing, right? Because there is the practice and the routine and the showing up and the doing. Like, I remember being given the advice, like, 90% of being an artist is just showing up to the studio. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think there's a lot of truth in that, that you just sort of have to be here in the studio and be sort of available and present when the magic decides to fly through the window. Yeah. You know? But then there's the other thing about, like, how within that routine do you keep it fresh and keep discovering and keep giving yourselves reason to come back to the studio beyond the habit of it. Yeah. And I think that's the thing about collaboration Mm -hmm. and, and like, things like music. um, Travel, I think, is a big thing. Getting out, you know. Getting out. Traveling for me, too, always gets me, it forces you away from, you know, Mm. being able to work at times. Like, if I'm going on a long trip, of course, I'm not going to be in the studio for a while. So you need that life experience, I think, to be able to see things. And, you know, I mean, some people can get that commuting to the studio from where they live. Mm -hmm. Other people get it from being really far away from their studio, maybe, and they can start seeing things in a different way. I guess it all depends on people's work, but, you know. It is important, I think, to to kind of hit the reset button. It's funny how those like experiences creep into the work. Yeah. Like for me, I because of the way I paint and you know being a sort of like a non-objective painter, mm-hmm. and a lot of the work comes through just process and being with the painting and um, like subject matter or the subject of the of the picture, like isn't always this given thing when I start a painting. Yeah. But it's funny how so often, or often, like, those things that I have seen out of the studio become so important, or they become sort of um, revealed through painting. I'm like, oh, this is somehow related to that experience, or something I saw, or the quality of the light of a place, or a form that mimics architecture that I've encountered Mm -hmm. and I wonder like if I hadn't gone on those trips like would those things have appeared in the work or not 
and they might and you might not have noticed it right and that affects the way that you continue on with that painting too totally. because if you're not responding to it you know it's yeah. like it's really true. It's like reading, you know, when you read a book, you can read a book now and read it 20 years from now, you're going to respond to it a totally different 20 years because you have all that experience to bounce off of whatever the content is in that, yeah, in that book, really you know. True. So in the studio, it's, it's why I love that adage. Of like, it took me, you know, people ask how long it took you to make a painting, and it's like, well, it took me 40 years to make that painting. Mm. And it, because in a sense it does, because you'll never make that same painting, you know, 10 years earlier because right. of all that experience even if it's just that experience of painting for 10 years it mm. changes your view on things it's really exciting you know it's exciting and depressing because you're you realize you're getting old <laughs> you realize time is ticking away and it goes faster and faster and faster but yeah. you know it's I, I feel like that there's a certain confidence in not that you know anything more but just that you've experienced more mm. you know and, and one hopes that that's in your work whether that's you know painting a song or you know, sculpture or whatever it is that that informs what you're doing right you know? yeah it's true and like that's the funny thing like like coming back to that sort of music conversation um like i don't still play music but there's still so many things about that experience and the sort of being in a band and being at shows and having my hands like in song mm -hmm. that still so deeply resonate with what I do when I have like a paintbrush in my hand yeah. and I think for me probably one of the main things is that like I'm really interested in the way that paintings unfold through time mm -hmm. like a song and in a way I feel like by not playing music in some ways maybe it kind of heightens those interests more in the paintings yeah um, you think about that process kind of because in relation to right. music, but it's a totally different venue. Right. Know? Or it's like something I'm longing to do but not doing mm -hmm. so I can kind of give it form through painting. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about your, you know, your process and your paintings and, and what your, the way you approach them and how you go about them and, you know, all that backstory yeah. to these. Yeah. Um, well, maybe we could start off, too. I'm just interested. What were you doing in school? Like, what kind of work were you making when you were in school? Well, I, I studied, like, um, with a pretty, like, traditional, um, I don't know, schooling at, at Hampshire. I worked with um, a couple of really great painters, uh, Gideon Bach mm -hmm. um, and Judith Mann. Mm -hmm. uh, those were sort of my main painting teachers. And there was a real kind of emphasis on observation and perception and the figure and so that's pretty much what I did for the first like three years where I was um, studying in Hampshire so yeah were you painting before college I had painted just a little bit like in my in my high school there was not much in the way of art courses yeah but I was getting more and more kind of interested in art as I was growing up so I took a painting course at the local community college. Um, and actually my grandmother was really interested in art too. Mm -hmm. So she and I took a painting class together. That's cool. Which was really fun. Yeah. So that's Did you I, get hooked at that point? That's when I really started being like, wow, painting and drawing are like awesome. And yeah. I think I sort of... The seed was planted. Yeah. But that, 
at Hampshire, that's, and I didn't go to Hampshire thinking I would do art. I was like really interested in like architecture. Mm -hmm. and I thought I might do like urban planning or something like that. But then I took a drawing class and then that led to a painting class and then that was just all I wanted to do really. But for, yeah, those first three years, I think it was a lot about just learning about color and learning about drawing and trying to figure out how to translate the things that I was seeing onto a flat surface. Mm -hmm. But I think the longer I did that, actually working perceptually and working like off of a given problem, like it got a little crippling for me. And it was just like, I got so sort of burdened with the idea of getting it right. Mm -hmm. And I was like really into Giacometti. <laughs> yeah. So I think like, I just never knew how to kind of move a painting forward because it seemed impossible um, to represent what you were seeing. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, like along the way, I think I started learning more and more about abstraction and those paintings were just so compelling and intriguing and sort of foreign yeah. and mysterious. Um, so I would sort of like secretly make abstract, like small abstract paintings alongside of like observational interiors and mm -hmm. figure paintings. Um, and at some point, sort of later, like my senior year, I think I just got sort of more and more interested in those secret paintings mm -hmm. and less and less interested in what I had been learning in the classroom. And it came to this sort of crisis moment like for my thesis, like in January of that last year, where I was just like, oh man, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And I like tossed that whole sort of beginning of my thesis project and started over. And yeah, I was like really obsessed with color relationships. Mm -hmm. I really wanted to just try to see how I could like pack as much sort of visual optical energy into an object as possible. Um, I was really interested in like the edges of where one decision met another mm -hmm. and how those two things work together to make one thing. Um, and I was really interested in like scumbling and stacking colors mm -hmm. and what would happen about like when you would put one color on top of another and how to get the picture just really vibrate. Kind of architectural approach to the paint too, right? Yeah. Yeah, the material of paint was super important. Unencumbered by representation. Yeah. Yeah. But that you could still evoke something so specific. Right. Um, and in a way, in a more sort of distilled, legible way. Because mm -hmm. a lot of those representational paintings would just get so kind of filled with ideas and material and paint that they would just become kind of like these muddy boring pictures mm -hmm. and light and shadow seems to be a big the dynamic between colors and this sort of spatial relationships but also you know there's a I mean maybe I'm wrong but it seems like in a lot of your work there's a representational light going on mm -hmm. you know it's almost like you're reacting to certain things that you're stacking and they're creating a shadow or there's a light that's hitting these uh, well they're not objects but you know parts of the painting mm -hmm. to where it feels like there's a lot of representation in these abstractions. Yeah, 
that and that feels important like I think one of the ways that I work is like a lot of the paintings start off on some sort of like variation of the grid mm -hmm. um, they start very flat they start with like really simple shapes they kind of they're sort of like initially not mimetic and sort of like refusing outside subject matter mm -hmm. you know um, by virtue of the kind of parameters of the language but I don't want them to just be these like insular self-referential pictures I want them to feel like they connect back to the world yeah and so I feel like a lot of times I'm pushing these really simple ingredients and waiting and asking and trying and revising, hoping that they're going to um, kind of have an opening and start to, yeah, evoke a place or evoke mm -hmm. a form or um, feel like they're like a specific visual situation. Yeah, um, and your the materiality of your paint is so specific. You know, it's I feel like it has a real. Um, like I don't really see anything that looks like the way that you're making the paintings mm -hmm. physically, um, and that's because you're using you're using pigment, right? And you're dispersing it. That's right. Yeah. So it's, like, it's there's a different consistency to the surface of these. Yeah, it's like it's raw pigment, and it's in this sort of uh, it's a water-based binder, but it has like a lot of um, silica, so it has like this mm -hmm. sandy matte quality, and. Yeah, that just sort of happened over time, but mostly through, like we were talking about earlier, um, figuring out how to like paint while I was commuting between New York and Massachusetts to teach. Yeah. And I just sort of arrived at this specific set of materials, basically because I wanted to take dry paintings back and forth between two places. Mm -hmm. But what started happening is I got really interested in the way that as I was painting with this material, it was drying a lot faster than oil paint. Mm -hmm. So that within a passage on the painting, you could see these different times or passages as these like abstract passage, you know, forms or shapes of the brush mm -hmm. that would overlap within a decision or a shape or a form. So it started to be about like um, a way of illustrating time or showing time within an illusionistic image as well. Yeah. It's funny too, I didn't think of it until just now looking at them, but there's something, the surface of them and that kind of transparency, but the texture that feels like it's coming from behind the yeah. paint, because it's the way that you're painting, but it also feels like it's on a surface that has that texture to it maybe. Right. It, for me, it's reminding me too of like large murals that are done on mm. concrete or on walls, you know what I mean? It has yeah. that kind of really heavy behind the painting structural feel to it you know wow. yeah I like that but there's a lot of air in the images too at the same time because right. of that transparency it's kind of a nice combination between you know a lightness and a, and a heavy feeling at the same time yeah and the other thing that maybe doesn't I think it comes through more in person is that the paintings are worked actually very quite slowly over time mm-hmm and a lot of times what I'll do is like, I'll just gesso passages out completely. Mm -hmm. So there's, it's kind of going back to white, but it's also at the same time, I don't know, it's like, 
it's basically like kind of patching on a new sheet of white paper or something yeah. onto a watercolor. So, but I'm trying to keep them really thin, so they're building up a kind of thinner, but body like thinner body, um, but they're also allowed to keep a kind of luminosity and internal light. Yeah, because I like I want them to. I want them to sort of, I don't know, to show that process to to be something that like evolves over time. Um, but I also don't want them to have that like thick, heavy, like, I don't know, like impasto macho surface. Yeah. Like, is it possible to really spend time and work a painting without it having to have this like material weight? Yeah. Um, and I think it like, for me, I think I'm sort of like a heady thinking painter. Mm -hmm. And I like the idea that there's this kind of internal, untouchable, like non-tact, like less tactile quality of the paintings, yet you feel this kind of internal workings of the picture yeah um and a kind of internal evolution of ideas yeah um, it's nice because it's 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 really is a push-pull you know it's not everything isn't coming at you mm -hmm. you know there's a lot of it since it does have that um thin quality to it that you're you're going in and at the same time it's pushing out with the color and the motion of it you know mm -hmm. um it's really cool. I've never seen the underpaintings before. Oh, uh, yeah. So these, but I think these are really interesting too to see how they begin in that they're very ethereal because there's, yeah. they're almost not there. Yeah. But they stay like this for quite some time actually. Mm -hmm. So these are like three or four new paintings and these are like one or two sessions old. Mm -hmm. And um, so you're mapping it out in this sense, right? You're kind of, or you're, you're building the roadwork of what's going to eventually, because these are all in sort of yellows and oranges. It's like a grisaille, right? Yeah, yeah, this is just, right now you're just seeing like total searching. Mm -hmm. I have no idea where these paintings are going. And they'll hover in this kind of limited palette, um, sort of searching space for quite some time. Yeah. And then, I, I've just found like, and this is kind of a new thing with this more recent body of work, but what I've been wanting to do is just keep a really limited palette. Mm -hmm. um, and I found that this transition between yellow to red through orange, that kind of simple gradient, it gives me both a notion of value, like light to dark mm -hmm. and temperature, like yeah. warm to cool. So it just feels like the most sort of fundamental ways of making light and yeah. talking about sp space and heat. Yeah. Um, but then at some point when I get interested, I'll usually switch over and start to really push color. Mm -hmm. But um, it's also, yeah, like a way to push that kind of interest in scumbling. So I often will have these more high-keyed underpaintings and then tone them down with a more kind of muted or cooler um, color world on top. Yeah. And the shapes that you're building in these, do they, 
Do they are they purely invented? I mean, I know unconsciously you're seeing shapes all the time when you walk around in the city. Are you is it purely unconscious? Or are you trying to or do you think you're reacting to certain things that you're seeing? You know what I mean? More literally or mm-hmm. how does it work? Or are you just kind of improvising? I think there's really a combination. Like some paintings really will start to evoke something very specific that mm-hmm. I've witnessed. Like there was this painting I made recently that felt like very much connected to this experience where I was up in uh, Kingston, New York with some friends mm-hmm. and there was like this train bridge that went across like this mountain like river valley and we were hanging out one night and I didn't know it was there and it was like late and it was dark and all of a sudden this train went across this bridge and it seemed like it was like a 300 feet up in the air. Yeah. It was like so high. Floating in the sky. It just seemed like a train flew overhead. Yeah. And it was so crazy. But there were all this sort of like big metal scaffolding and structures that went from the tracks down to the bedrock like in the yeah. river. And that, like the way that train sort of traversed across the tracks and then those structures became like this like gamelong orchestra and it was just like like this amazing sound um like i didn't set out to paint that but there was a moment where i like found this kind of like weird visual equivalent Mm -hmm. of that in a painting and i was like oh i think this is maybe about that train yeah (laughs) i mean i i don't know like and i would never expect someone else to know that right um but it was just a way and to keep pushing and developing the picture but other paintings feel like, yeah, I don't even know what they connect to. I, I know they feel specific, mm-hmm. um, maybe more to the painting themselves, maybe somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Um, but I'm not like typically, you know, going on Google or like finding this kind of you know, set of like visual sources right. that I'm then trying to explore through the picture. Mm-hmm. Like I really like the process of a picture presenting a subject. Yeah. Um, it's really interesting. I mean, it's so opposite, the complete opposite of the way that I work <laughs> where, you know what I mean? And I, mm-hmm. it must be, although when I was in school, I was making paintings that were generative. Like right. I was using fractal equations to build like number mm-hmm. like relationships and then painting these sort of fractal um, lines that would then I would build spaces and things into hmm. so they were all kind of invented yeah you know? but I they all started looking similar so right <laughs> I felt like I was lit my imagination or my formal qualities in the paintings were being limited so yeah I ended up going when I went to Skowhegan I you know I've thought I'll just paint what I see you know mm-hmm. I saw a tree fall into a telephone wire and I was like that's what I'm going to paint wow. so I just started painting you know the stuff around me and f- somehow that was more freeing to me it's yeah. like oh I can just paint anything so my imagination was letting me down in a way but I mean it feels like this must be so it must be so nice to just come in the studio <laughs> and not have to re- or necessarily be quoting or looking at things and you know you're just inventing which is a really you know. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it feels so so freeing, and then other times it feels like there's the danger of just repeating yourself. Yeah. Like, 
trying to find a way to take your interest and your moves and your language and keep having it generate yeah. new ideas. And I think there's a, a tension that I feel in the studio about that. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I think I'm just always trying to find ways to keep... I mean, cause, I don't know, I guess that's the thing I think about that's cool about painting is maybe you have three or four moves or interests or things that you like do with paint and mm-hmm. sort of your natural relationship to the material. But somehow in painting, like you can actually keep recombining those three or four things like in a seemingly infinite way. Yeah, yeah. Like they don't, it, it's sort of inexhaustible. Right. So, but I am also aware like sometimes I'm like, oh man, am I going to just run out of ideas? Or yeah. Like have I kind of gotten all that I can out of... Well, it's everyone's, every artist's fear or, you know, worry, right? It, right? In the back of your mind, it's like, am I just going to start looping over the same things over and over again, right. you know? Or am I going to, or is that going to force me to purposefully change what I do in a forced manner right. that won't feel like legitimate or, you know, that I'm really interested in that. I just feel like, oh, I just got to try to keep pushing things, right. you know? But I also like, you know, but I also do look at a ton of other things. Like I'm looking a lot at textiles and mm-hmm. quilts and kente cloth and mm-hmm. I'm looking a lot at painting and I you know love Mirandi and Bonnard and I love late Brock and synthetic cubism like yeah so I feel like I'm aware of my kind of visual family mm-hmm. you know and I draw on that quite a bit yeah but um but well, I feel like it kind of comes through the work maybe more often than when I like maybe earlier in my life as a painter where I was like really specifically like crap cracking open like specific books and trying to figure out how to get that to just be absorbed into the paintings right Um, and learning to kind of trust that I've internalized those interests Mm -hmm. and that they will just come through in the pictures yeah the process of like working through ideas will just generate new ways of thinking about Mm -hmm. you know making the image yeah so what about when you're in here working during the day what are you you listening to music yeah so almost always and are you as diverse in here as you are in day you know in other aspects of your day-to-day as far as your music you're listening to yeah i'll listen to everything yeah i i feel like right now i get into these funny like ruts that are pretty much like a product of the technology. Mm -hmm. Like I'll make a Spotify playlist Mm -hmm. or something and I'll just listen to that because... I love that Spotify is making you more (laughs) limited when the entire like world of music (laughs) is on that thing. (laughs) Well, but in a way, like, you know, your phone runs out of memory. Yeah, no. Like, you know, you have to like download things. So Mm -hmm. you sort of have to choose. Yeah. Um, whereas before you could just have like piles of CDs and just pick out of that. Yeah. Um, but I love that (laughs) the the idea that it used to be so much easier to get to all this different music and now it's more complex in a, in a way. Yeah. Do you feel like you listen to more music now? Way more. Okay. And I've always been, I, I used to be a DJ in college, a jazz DJ and you know, I, I think that was the moment when I really got into digging, yeah. like, you know, digging through 
crates of vinyl and just finding stuff, you know. And ever since then, I've been, it's been like a, you know, if I don't know about certain music or musician, it drives me crazy. Like, mm. I want to know about all aspects yeah. of music. So, yeah, I think I, and now on Spotify, there's stuff from different parts of the world that I never would have found or there's a lot of resources on there. Yeah. I think that, and I exploit that. And I'll even go into people's playlists. So if it's like, you know, whatever whatever genre it is, you look through, I'll look through the playlists and put it on shuffle. And then when I hear something that really sticks out, I'll investigate that mm -hmm. person. You know, I kind of do the same thing you did when you were in a record store and kind right. of go through those different genres. But it's a lot easier now and there's a lot more stuff out there. Yeah. It's a rabbit hole. You know, you can just get lost in it. I have a, also my other real source. Do you know Eric Dinbregen, yeah, the painter? Yeah. He has like become my um, musical sensei. He's your hookup? He's like, I used to think that I knew like a fair amount about music. Mm -hmm. And then whenever I talk to Eric, I just feel like I've never heard music. Like it's so yeah. amazing to encounter someone that has just such like an encyclopedic knowledge about anything. But he and I will often get into these conversations and it leads to like five records that I need to go back and listen to. Yeah. So he'll kind of inadvertently like give me like in a homework assignment I and then I'll like work on listening to those records. Maybe we should do a shared playlist. Yeah. That might be a good idea. That's a great idea. Cause then you can just, it's collaborating yeah. in a way, you know, because when you're in the studio and you're listening to certain things that I feel like it energizes your work in different ways. You know? Yeah. And lately I've been too, I've been putting on these sets. Like there's like YouTube videos where people are doing like mix, or like a DJ set that's like an hour and a half long. Mm -hmm. There's something really nice about that too because it's hypnotic. You just get lost and, you know, and when you're working, the CD thing is nice, but then having to keep going over right. and like changing things, unless you had a hundred CD changer, remember <laughs> those things? The size of like a small car. Oh, yeah, the huge kid yeah, yeah. And uh, just seemed like a nightmare. Yeah, that was, some people had those in their car, <laughs> like a 20 CD changer and it was in the trunk. You'd have to open it up and like unlock a little compartment and put your CDs in there. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's you know. I still have those like um black CD books with the sleeves. Oh yeah, yeah. And it's funny because, like basically, you just like abandoned all your CDs when the iPod thing happened. Yeah. And they just like sat there, kind of like the Velveteen Rabbit or something. Yeah, yeah. And if artifacts. You, like I was like moving or something a year or two ago. And I found those black books mm -hmm. and I opened them up and it was so crazy to encounter them and the way things were organized. And like, it was like finding an old diary, yeah. you know, and like, it was all just these CDs, like exactly as I had left them in, you know, whatever, like 2000. Yeah. And yeah. albums, like you would listen to each track. Like you forget about the relationship you used to have to the flow of a record. Oh, yeah. Because now it's shuffled, everything's shuffled. Yeah. So, you know, you used to know that record. The dynamic of, you know, front to back, first song to last song. Oh, it's... That's all but gone. I mean, you can do it now, but it's not... You're not limited by it. I know. You know what I mean? I completely agree. Like the way when you listen to a Beatles record... 
like when the f song is ending, you're already anticipating the next song. Yeah. Like the sequencing of those records is as ingrained in me as like the songs themselves. Yeah. And when I think about like listening to music now, like there's this kind of slow death of the form of the album. Mm -hmm. And oh yeah. I don't know, like that's why I really liked um, Kendrick Lamar's To Pimp a Butterfly, yeah. is I felt like it functioned so beautifully as a record. Yeah. Um, and the way it flowed and the way that he kind of carries ideas through songs. Mm -hmm. um, I think he's doing something so radical today about like really considering how a, how a group of songs like functions as something singular. Yeah, it's really nice to see that. It's almost like when you go see a show at a gallery that's really about that show yeah. as opposed to, you know, the art fair. Like, it's right. just a ton of, like, singles. They're, like, music singles mm -hmm. that are made to just grab you really quickly and be catchy or, you know, jump out. But seeing that show that's been thought of and it's a collection of work over time yeah. is really rewarding. It's like you just you appreciate it more now, I think, because there is so much of that rapid-fire release of everything, mm -hmm. you know. I remember when we used to get CD signals, singles, and they were great because you know it was like that. It was a little tease of the record, but you would get the B sides. Right. And um, yeah, I think you kind of appreciate when people get around to to working that way mm -hmm. in a group of of images or songs or ideas over a sustained amount of time. Yeah, you know, that takes a lot more patience these days, I think. So for you, like talking about these like different ways of working, like I know that one of the ways you work is like you'll you kind of come up with or what I imagine like you go on these trips you like sort of see the world around you and you get this like kind of huge inventory of images mm -hmm. um, and then I imagine at some point your first relationship is like almost as a curator where you're thinking about how all of those images connect and relate to one another yeah um, I'm curious like for you do you, how do you think about that, like, as a, once you start painting, like, are you painting all your pictures and then, like, seeing how they work and function together as a group? Or do you sort of know what the group is and then you set off to paint it? Um, it's, it's, it's a kind of a combination of the two things. Mm -hmm. Usually a group of work will be framed by an event, whether it's something that I did or something that I have coming up where I'm thinking. And it just fortunately always seems to couple with me being interested in something new, mm -hmm. a new idea, yeah. you know? So, you know, I was talking to someone about the fact that my, I think my first show in my first solo show was just a group of eight paintings or whatever mm -hmm. it was that I just made of different images. There was no clear. And then after that, it all was... I'm really interested in, you know, surveillance imagery or, you know, I'm really interested in, you know, optical phenomenon in nature, like right. different things that would just, I would work around that. And um, I think that created in me a pattern of, and it's just my, my conceptually what I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. I get interested in little ideas about the world mm -hmm. and specific images. And then I work through them or I'm, I'm painting a lot of images. And at a certain point, I'm like, okay, I'm moving I want to move on to a new idea. Right. You know what I mean? So yeah. 
there's kind of a serendipity to the way that I've been able to show and share my work. And there's, I think there's, since I do work in the gallery, but I also do a lot of public stuff or yeah. do, there's other outlets, then I'm able to kind of have these different avenues to get the work out. Yeah. But yeah, I mean like the show that I have coming up is just, was based on a trip, you know, mm. I was really um, interested in the idea of being on the other side of the world and seeing things in a totally different way than the way people there see it and what it means, like the differences in culture and, you know, kind of like yeah. that dialogue was really interesting to me. So um, I just took a bunch of pictures and then I tweaked a lot of them right. and kind of, you know, rework things to where, you know, and I do do that curatorial thing too right. where I make a bunch of work and then I'll select things out because to me the difference between the pieces is as important as yeah. the images, right. like what that means next to that and that dialogue. So, yeah, it's kind of... So, the, so as the body of work is progressing this kind of internal chronology or internal set of relationships starts to grow with between the paintings also yeah and mm. I think when I'm looking in the for whatever the project is or whatever my idea is um, let's say it's like cultural differences or like things that are intrinsically interesting to someone who's not from the place to where you're I'll pick those things out or I feel like my eye is looking for that when I'm looking at certain things to take images from so mm. it's almost like I'm already thinking about conceptually about how these paintings are going to be when I'm looking at the world. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like you can see a commute from here to Manhattan through a lot of different lenses. Mm. You know, you could go the traffic lens. You could go <laughs> the uh, the funny characters on the street lens. You could go for the, you know, bubblegum on the sidewalk images. There's so many different ways to talk about, you know, who we are by the way, like spaces and environment around us. And mm. I think for me, it just ends up being like this endless... Um, not only source of um, material and inspiration for me, but also interesting to think about us in different ways based on different things that we see right. or, or what our environment, how it talks about us in different ways by what you focus in on. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's why photography or, you know, working from images that are representational become deep for me. You know, right. it's not just like, oh, that's just a picture of a tree. Right, you know what right. I mean? But there's something really... And I. it's funny because one of my biggest influences is Japanese prints. Hmm. And I feel like yeah. they, those were images that were supposedly just about the daily world, right? Mm -hmm. Like the day-to-day. -day. But there's something always ethereal to me about that. Like there's something that's beyond that. There's a oh, sensibility yeah. and a delicateness. You know, it, and a notion of order and a notion of emptiness mm -hmm. and... And the sublimation of the landscape yeah. and, you know, and the small person in the midst of this yeah. beauty, all that stuff is kind of in, you know, it's really interesting to me. And I feel like um, I might be in a danger zone because I don't think it's that interesting to a lot of people. No, I think that's all you can do. Like that's typically, I think, what's cool about painting or art in general is like you have this really strange, specific interest that you're just so committed to that it, um, it becomes interesting again to yeah. the viewer. Yeah. You know? I mean, I just really, and I think you probably, there's probably the element in your work too that you're asking the viewer to take time out from all the things that they're seeing and, and go into this sort of language that you're creating. Right. And there's subtle little things in there that are happening that you're asking them to pay attention to, to, right. to appreciate. 
And I feel like that's, I'm doing a similar thing within representation as mm-hmm. I'm picking out these quiet moments that to me are very beautiful or very um, ominous or whatever right. that vibe is. But it asks a lot from people, especially today when there's so much going on, so much visual stimulus, everything's so fast and quick that it's really selfish and egotistical to want people to pay attention to these (laughs) tiny little, you know, moments in life. But I think it's important. I think it's so important. And like, I think um, right now we sort of are so aware of life as an image Mm -hmm. and things sort of being presented and digested through the form of an image yet at the same time things are becoming less and less tethered to direct experience yeah and so painting is becoming like i think so interesting right now because it's really sort of showing us the limits of experience in an image yeah you know yeah and they're kind of being stretched painting is being stretched i think in a really interesting way Mm -hmm. with what's happening with the digital world yeah and the ubiquity of the image but you can't touch that stuff like literally yeah it can't it doesn't breathe it doesn't change it doesn't have a surface Mm -hmm. and i like the you know paintings are still sort of they have like one foot that's so firmly rooted in direct experience yeah and there's the history of that creation right. in it that is not like pushing a button right. on a screen you know which is i don't know it's maybe it's the um the cd folder in the basement right that's not really <laughs> maybe necessary anymore you know it's kind of like placed in a certain place and it's it serves a certain purpose mm-hmm. and it's kind of antiquated or something but i think it's it's a great you know, form of expression, you know, yeah. or language. Me too. That, you know, hopefully it doesn't become Latin. Right. No, I don't <laughs> think it will be. I mean, I think it's a sponge. And I think that's the beauty of painting is that, you know, like, look what happened to painting when cinema began and the motion picture began. Like, mm-hmm. it just gets more and more interesting. Yeah. And kind of circling back to that, conversation we were having a while ago about collaboration like painting is like so highly collaborative Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's funny because like on the day-to-day we sort of maybe don't always feel that in the studio but then there are those moments where you're like oh yeah this is like so involved in like a contemporary conversation or a historical conversation or it's like so, like, you can put a painting that you made today beside a painting that was made 500 years ago. Yeah. And they exist outside of time and space. Mm-hmm. And there's, like, a real conversation that's happening. And um, I think we glimpse that sort of feeling of, oh, I'm collaborating with the language and the yeah. form just enough that it's not, like, this totally lonely activity yeah you know yeah um yeah it's funny too because i think a lot of students don't want that or don't even want to explore that like they want it to be their own voice right you know but it's funny as you get older and you paint longer and longer you really appreciate that that language and the dialogue that your images are having it becomes less of a burden and more of uh, like oh yeah this is this is what i'm doing like they were doing that too in a totally different way or 
you know, they're unconsciously soaking in the world. I'm unconsciously soaking in my world, you right. know, and that's what it's about, you know. So I think it becomes what, what originally starts off as being maybe, you know, an impediment becomes something that's a real source of inspiration. And, oh, yeah. You know, a vehicle moving forward, which is great. So that's the good sign of, of the future, you know, is that, that that relationship with the past can really push work into the future and that dialogue and that conversation, it just never ends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that, yeah, that just gets more and more interesting. And, and in those moments where you kind of, feel like I don't know that you're needs to like refuel the the engine like I just love the idea that everyone has been together working on this something kind of like a singular project Mm -hmm. and that you're like huh let's go back to the well and like refill yeah and there's I like how those things sort of change too like the people that you keep there are those certain painters or artists that you always go back to yeah. and get that feeling. Mm-hmm. And then there's the sort of constantly rotating cast of artists that like you're interested in right now. Yeah. That like I don't know, keep fueling you with new ideas. Just like music. Yeah. Cool. So what do you got coming up? What are you working on now? So let's see, I have a show in Chicago at Devening Projects, mm-hmm. um, Dan Devening, that'll be in October. Nice. Um, and then in March of next year, I'm going to be doing a show in uh, Italy, in Trento, Italy. That sounds good. So that'll be really exciting. Yeah. Um, you know, like Italian painting is so, so important to me. That's a dialogue. Or not. Yeah. yeah. Like the notion of like the light and touch and Mirandi and architecture Fra Angelico and Italian yeah. architecture like there's so much in that specific um, world and that region of painting that has been so important to me but I've seen so little of it mm-hmm. so I'm super excited to actually take paintings to Italy and they get to hang out there yeah. and talk to everything yeah, yeah. that's gonna be and really then cool. I get to go and see see some of that stuff nice um and yeah, I'm actually starting an addition uh, project, mm-hmm. um, working on a suite of etchings uh, with a really great printmaker, this um, printer, Caitlin Rorden, mm-hmm. who um, works at the Pratt uh, print shop. Nice. So I'll be, uh, um, I, we started a few plates last summer, but they've just been sort of sitting in the incubator. But we're going to make a big push on that project. Sounds great. Um, Prints are so much fun. Yeah. <laughs> Love printmaking. Yeah, I'm really excited to keep pushing those. Um, and I've been drawing more. Like, it's been a kind of natural moment in the studio where I've been trying to feed the paintings more through drawing. Yeah. And I feel like printmaking will be this kind of cool in between. Yeah. It's that middle step yeah, in like a way. Yeah, it's sort of drawing and sort of painting. Um, and there's like a lot of natural ways of like just being able to play and overlap and kind of like have your images contend with each other and mm-hmm. like in a really physical way. So I'm pumped to start pushing that project forward also. Sounds good. Yeah. And look. And the sun's the sun, coming out. The sun <laughs> came out. 
So Finally. probably I won't do anything. I'll just go and <laughs> sit, walk around and in the sit sun. in the grass. It's a fleeting moment <laughs> in our lives recently. So. <laughs> it looks great. All right. Well, thanks, yeah. Tom, for having me over. It's great to to finally get to your studio. Yeah. I've seen it over Skype, but I haven't <laughs> been down here. Well, the coffee just kicked in, so. Nice. Um, yeah, it's been great to have you here, man. Thanks a lot, man. Don't forget to stop by soundandvisionpodcast.com for additional photos and behind-the-scenes shots inside the artist studios. There's also links and additional information about the podcast. You can also follow the podcast on Instagram at soundandvisionpodcast. Many thanks as well to Niska Lines for his introduction to the podcast and his intro music, and Lullatone for doing the music for my intro to the artist and the outro music that you're listening to now. Uh, there's links on the soundandvisionpodcast.com page, so you can check out their music through the links on the information page. Thanks for listening. <laughs>